And uh, I'm going to invite you, if you're able, to join me in standing as we look to God's Word today. Mark chapter 1 is where we're going to be. Mark chapter 1, and we're going to begin reading in verse 16. Now, as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And Jesus said unto them, Come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. And straightway they forsook their nets and followed him. And when he had gone a little further thence, he saw James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, who also were in the ship mending their nets. I'm going to read on, but I love the way the Bible says there that Jesus went a little further. If you study that expression in the New Testament, that is the story of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. He just continued to go a little further. That expression is used in the Garden of Gethsemane prior to going to the cross. And I'm grateful today we have a Savior that's just pressing forward all the time, doing that which is best for the glory of God the Father, but in our, our good. And he went a little further. And so he meets in verse 16, uh, Peter and Andrew, verse 19, we uh, meet James and John. And then in verse 20, the Bible says, And straightway he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the ship with the hired servants and went after him. In verse 17, the Bible says that Jesus came to these men and he said, Come ye after me. In response to that, in the end of verse 18, the Bible says that they followed him. This entire accounting is, is chronicling the event when Jesus came to these men and essentially said, follow me. And uh, I want us to think of this together today. Our Father, we thank you and we praise you for your word and for uh, the truths it contains. And, and Lord, we come to you today admitting we really need your help in this study. Your book is a spiritually discerned book. And, and, and so, Lord, I pray that as you look into this service today, you'll find me doing my best and, and you'll find all of us doing our best, working together, trying to learn and grow and and I pray that you'd open our spiritual eyes so that we can, we can find these truths that you have for us today. I pray that you'd be pleased by this all. Help people today, Lord. We love you. We pray this name in Jesus. We pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. True to his fast-moving style, Mark moves quickly into the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. In fact, somewhere in the white space in between verses from our last study and the verses we're involved in in this study, a year has elapsed. Mark just writes right on through. He, he didn't make mention of it, but, but we know that a year has elapsed. And we find Christ here walking along the beautiful shoreline of the Sea of Galilee when he takes note of some men with whom he has already been working. In the Gospel of John, we find that some of Christ's original 12 disciples were followers of John the Baptist. When John introduced Jesus Christ as the Lamb of God, there would have been some of these there who at that time would have gotten to know Jesus Christ and, and would have spent time with Jesus Christ. In fact, the experiences in John chapter 2, 3, and 4 already took place before the verses that we're studying when Jesus calls them to be his apostles. They would have already spent time with Jesus as he turned the water into wine at Cana. They would have already been there, at least in that, that vicinity, when Jesus spoke to Nicodemus and wrote those great words we read in John 3.16. They would have been there when Jesus cleansed the temple of the merchants, and they would have been there when Jesus ministered to the lady we often call the woman at the well. They, they would have known Jesus. They would have responded to his call to faith. They, they would have followed him in that sense but not in the sense of of apostles into this time and so there they were in a general sense but here we find a specific call from Jesus Christ 
to follow him. It was a call to serve as apostles, to learn of Christ and to assist Christ. It was a call to become prepared for that time when they would continue the work that Jesus Christ had started. Instinctively, I wanted to study the lives of these men to discern the qualities that made them worthy of a call from Jesus Christ. I wanted to get into this text and I wanted to find those things that they were doing that attracted Christ to them so that personally I could try and emulate those qualities in my own life so that I could be more effective in my service to God personally. And I I wanted to get a list from this text that I could share with you today. And I was excited at the thought of doing so. I wanted to get a list of a few things that these disciples were doing. And maybe I would even uh, make them all start with the same letter. And then I could come and share with you that if you'll only do these four or five things, then, then the Lord will find you worthy of a call. And as I was thinking through this process, the Holy Spirit of God reminded me that my very thought process was betraying the essence of God because God does not call anybody because they're worthy God calls people because he's a great God it's not our goodness that attracts God to us it's it's the fact that he's a good God that he comes to us you see God does not choose anyone because they're lovely gifted or essential to his success yet we find that we are loved and gifted and invited by God to partner with him in his work. You see, it's all a matter of his will or his plan. We, we can't be helped in our study of this text if we just want to make it a study of the apostles before they were followers of Jesus Christ. But we can be blessed in a great way if we make this a study of Jesus and his love and how he works. And I believe that's the, the best way to look at this text. As we view this passage through the lens of God's love, we find some truths that can change our lives. How exactly did these men come to be disciples? And what do we find personally from this text? A few encouraging thoughts this morning, if your notes are nearby. The first element I have to see here. Uh, You can look no further until you see this. It all begins with the grace of God. The grace of God. Our text begins by saying, Now as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew his brother. And you don't have to read any more words in this text to find the compassionate gaze of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ with all that was happening in his life, with all that was happening in the world. And we know that Jesus, being God the Son, was well aware that his life was was, uh, just a little further, a little further at a time, leading him to the cross of Calvary with all that was on his mind. Jesus never lost sight of people. He, He loves people. They were the reason he came. And so he saw these men not just for what they were, but for what they could become by his grace. All that would be written of their lives was the result of God's grace at work in them. It was God's divine favor and God's divine enablement that led to their success. And it's interesting to note that sometime after the ascension of Christ, the world assessed Peter and John, and what they had to say, I think, is is pretty instructive. It's, It's revealing. In Acts 4 and verse 13, the Bible says this, Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled, and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. So the religious leaders of the day, they look at 
And a couple of these men that Jesus is talking with here. And they say, you know, as I assess the lives of these guys, I, I think they're ignorant and unlearned. You're bad off if you're both ignorant and unlearned, okay? And so they said, these guys, they are ignorant and they are unlearned. That was their assessment of the lives of these men. They hadn't been to formal training in the world's institutions, but it was also noted that they'd been with Jesus. It was the power of Christ at work in their lives. So the world looked at them, and they, they didn't know what kind of theological box to put them in. They say, you know, we look at these guys. They're ignorant guys. They're unlearned guys. They haven't been to the, the rabbinical schools as, as others have been to. But there's something special about them. You can just see Jesus, they noticed. You can see Jesus in them and on them. There was a great work being done there. Now listen, it was God's grace that pursued them. It was God's grace that led them to repentance. It was God's grace that called them to service. And this is the greatest news in all of the world. I say something every week at Coastline, and Lord willing, I'll continue to say it. We are not saved by our good works. We're saved by God's grace. The Bible in Ephesians 2.8 says for us very clearly, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. But, you know, I believe sometimes we have the mindset that says, you know, uh, we're saved by God's grace. We can't work our way into heaven. But once we become believers, then we're, we're just on our own. It's up to our own strength and our own power and, 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 and our own ingenuity. And I want you to know God's design for the Christian life is not that we would live by works there either or our own power or energy there. His desire is that we would live as well by grace, by grace. Philippians 2.13 says that it is God that works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. You see, when God chooses a servant, he's not basing his decision on our abilities or our experience or our pedigree, but upon his grace. He can do through us that which pleases him. And when you consider that God's grace, by definition, goes to the undeserving, you can be encouraged today. Because we can never be disenfranchised from a life of meaning as we serve God. It matters not what we've done, where we've been. We can never be disenfranchised from a God who wants to work in us and through us. Because as great as our need may be because of our shortcomings, our inadequacies, our sin, God's supply of grace always outweighs our need. That's just the way it goes. You see, we've got a God that that sees us not just for who we are and where we are, but for what we can become, for what it is He can do through our lives. And, and He doesn't look at us and say, I could never work through that person. They just don't got it together enough. He looks at them and says, you know, I've always got more grace than they'll ever have a, a need. Ephesians 1 and verse 7 says this, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. Listen, friends, when the Bible says according to the riches of His grace, He's saying it's in proportion to uh, God's grace. And I want you to understand today, if God works in our lives according to the riches of His grace, we're in good shape because when it comes to grace, God is loaded. When it comes to grace, He always has more than we could ever cause Him to expend. His supply always exceeds our demand. And I'm grateful when we look to this text, we see the grace of God. This passage is not a story about how good these men were. It's a story of how good God is. He's just a great God. He's good that way. We see not only his grace, but we'll see also in this text the gifts of God. The gifts of God. The text says here, he saw Simon, 
and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. We read of that in verse 16. In verse 19, we, we see there James and John, and of them it is said, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who also were in the ship, mending their nets. So we find these, these four that we uh, are introduced to in this text, and we find they were entrepreneurs. They were businessmen. Now, someone could say, well, no, they were just fishermen. But in the day, that was big business. These were men that knew how to uh, run a balance sheet. They, they, they knew what it was that needed to be done. And beyond that, they had the work ethic to do what needed to be done. They didn't just have big ideas, pie-in-the-sky thinking. They, they had the practical know-how to kind of take the big ideas, so to speak, and put it to work. They were, they were hard workers. They, they were getting a job done. They would have known the patience and the persistence and the passion that it would take to win a catch of fish. Furthermore, they would have understood the importance of maintaining those nets to, to preserve the catch of fish. And when you think about it, the very skills they would later use as preachers of the gospel were used in their fishing endeavors. It's not hard to see the word picture that Jesus Christ used when he said, Come ye after me, and I'll make you to become fishers of men. You see, people without Christ are lost in a sea, the sea of humanity. They're, they're lost, and, and, and all of us are sinners, and because of that, we're separated from God, and, and they need to be saved, and Jesus is the only one that can, can save, but he, he's calling us today to take the message that he saves out to everybody. Beyond that, a good fisherman would know of the value of caring for the catch. The Bible tells us that James and John were mending their nets. I, I sometimes like to look at the various words in Scripture and find out what do they mean. And it was interesting to me that when the Bible says that James and John were mending their nets, that it uses a Greek word, katarizo. It's the word from which we get our English word to cauterize. And it's a word that's deep. It's a word that's rich in meaning. In fact, the Bible in Ephesians 4 tells us what it is that pastors and teachers are to be involved in today, where the Bible says he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. When the Bible says perfecting the saints, it's the very same word used for mending the nets. In fact, it's the same words that Jesus uttered on the cross of Calvary when he said, it is finished. He didn't say, I am finished. He said, it is finished. It, it is a work that some have said means to balance the books, to finish the job. But, but really, it's an agricultural term. It means for something to come to fruition, for something to come to a point of ripe, to the point of usefulness. The Bible says they were mending their nets. Think of that. This is the idea. We're to bring people to Christ and then help them to come to a place of, of service and usefulness in the body of Christ. And just as a net with holes would not add value to a fishing enterprise, a Christian who does not follow God to the point of telling others about God is missing out on the great joy of fulfillment in the life of faith. We can see that God sovereignly placed experiences and gifts and opportunities in the lives of those that he would call in their background in their experiences in life god and his sovereignty was placing items there that they would draw upon at a later time god's just good that way i remember before finishing bible college i worked several years for an aerospace company and when god put it upon my heart they wanted me to go finish my bible school training and so forth i thought well, man, I've just wasted all this time here. I can't say that I dwelled on it too long, but I thought I could have been studying and serving this time. And, 
Instead, I just was over here working a, a job, you know, and, and I thought, well, I just burned a few years there, I guess, and uh, went on to school, finished school, and the Lord led us out here, and we were able to start the church, and God's been so very good, and I remember when we went from uh, living room to, uh, to, to uh, convention room there at the city and hotel conference rooms and all the different places, we were so excited when God brought across our path the opportunity to get the first building we got. It's right adjacent to where we are, 503 Vistabella, right next door. And uh, I remember we were just uh, about uh, oh, a little over a year old, and we began to work on it. And uh, looking at it now, it doesn't look like a big deal, but at the time, it was just enormous. You know, It couldn't have been any bigger. And we began to wonder, how can this happen? And, and I remember, I've used this number so much, it must be the truth. I've been saying for years, you know, 19 banks, when we went to them for a loan, told us no. It might have been 18, it might have been 20, but I'll stick with 19, okay? I've, I've used that number. And uh, no, our numbers were small. Our financial picture was still developing, so to speak. And we began to go to work on it. We determined, you know, this is a two-story building. We'll use the downstairs and keep tenants upstairs to help make the payment on the property. And, and uh, it, it was just unbelievable, all the hoops we had to jump through and to see the way God worked. And that property was purchased because of the goodness of God, and it was all for His glory, and I'm thankful for that. But many of the ideas that were used to bring that, that real estate deal to completion were ideas that during those years that I thought were wasted years, when God was teaching me stuff about business, that I thought, well, that, that would not have much to do with ministry, would it? You see, that was just God and His sovereignty. Looking at me, not for who I was or where I was, but for what He wanted me to become and what He wanted me to do at a later point. And, and I could have never figured that out or put it all together. I'm certainly not clever enough to have even thought of something like that. But you see, that's just how God works. He puts things in our lives that are going to help us and encourage us on down the road. It was all of God's grace, and it was, it was from God's gifts. But we also see in this text the guarantee of God. There's no way, humanly speaking, these fishermen should have been used as they were. But, I mean, their impact is undeniable. People even said they're turning the world upside down, these Christians, you know. And, uh, and so Jesus called them by his grace, according to the gifts. He placed it in their lives. He gave them a promise that they could take to the bank. Here's what he said. I will make you to become fishers of men. Now, I love to read that statement because I'm like, really, could you have put any more words in there, you know? I mean, how wordy can you make a statement? I will make you to become I mean, it would have been enough to say, I'll make you, or you'll become. But the fact is, the, the, the word from which that comes, ginomai, the Greek word, it, it means to make to become. It's a wordy word. Why was the Bible so emphatic that Jesus said, I will make you to become? I want you to know something. It was a guarantee that he would be working in their lives. The, the word has also been defined as to come to be or more than that. This maybe doesn't sound good grammatically, but this word by definition means to be becoming. In other words, it means that Jesus was telling them, listen, uh, I know where you're at, but I know where you need to be. And here's the guarantee as you follow me, as you come after me, I'll make you to become. I'll be working on you. I'll be uh, all the time bringing you along. You'll be my work and my work is a work in progress in your lives. That day on the seashore, we would have never looked at Peter and thought, you know, that's the perfect guy to preach the inaugural message of this new thing we're going to call the church. 
Oh man, that'll be great. We never would have imagined Peter preaching and thousands being saved and thousands following the Lord and believers' baptism. We, we just wouldn't have seen it that way. But Jesus looked past the rough exterior of Peter and he looked past his impetuous ways and he looked past that threefold denial of Jesus before he was crucified. He knew what Peter was. But more than that, he knew what Peter would become. You see, our God is so good that he calls us by his grace. He equips us with his gifts and guarantees to work on us so that he then can work through us. The Bible in Romans 8 says this, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose, for whom he did foreknow, the idea is to know before, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. God in eternity past, listen friend, he knew that you would be. He knew that you would be. He knows how you are. But God knows who you'll become as you follow him. The Bible says he can use all things to work together for good. Now, let me tell you, it may not all seem good when you're in the middle of it, but it is good in the sense that it's working on us to conform us to the image of Christ, the Bible says. You know, some of the greatest hurts and setbacks and failures in my life were the events that most shaped me. I'm thinking of some experiences that at the time I would have paid every penny I have to avoid it, but I wouldn't give every penny up now for the value I find in the treasure of something I learned through those occasions. You see, God, by His grace, let me know of my need of a Savior. You see, I don't, I don't have enough sense to even know of my need for God apart from His his work. He's the prime mover in it all. And so God, the Spirit, He let me know of, of my need for a Savior because of my sin. And He called me to Himself for salvation. And, and, and He's called me to serve Him with my life. That, that's how God works. He, he calls us by His grace. Now, I've got a long way to go, but you know, the Lord helps me every day I follow him. I can become more like him. He's helping me to become. And that encourages me. And the same could be said for you. Had we asked Jesus what he what he saw as he looked at those fishermen that day? I I just kind of imagine him going, well. Nothing, really. What do you think of those guys, Lord? I don't think much of those guys. I, I don't really think much. At least not right now. But they're, they're going to become. And to continue to become. You see, Jesus would say, I've got big plans for them. You can't see it all now. But those guys, they're going somewhere as they follow me. As they follow me. Listen, here's the good news. God's big plans did not stop with those apostles. He calls us today to him 
self. He, he calls us today to serve him with our lives. His plan for us is that we would get plugged into his plan today. You see, God does not have a plan for every life that's represented in this room today. Uh, God has one plan today. God's desires that the gospel message would be spread to the ends of the earth. And that plan is being worked out through the avenue of the local church. And God says, listen, I've got a plan. But the good news is he's got a place for all of us in his plan. He says, you can live the, for the most worthwhile reason there is. You can serve me with your life. He's still looking for fishers of men who'll tell the world that they're lost and about the saving power of Jesus Christ. He's looking for those who can mend the proverbial nets by helping others to grow. And he's still calling people today, no, not to be an apostle as the original 12 apostleship came and went with the personal calling of Jesus Christ. But he is calling us today. Ephesians 2.10 says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. We are his workmanship, but he created us that we'd live a life filled with good works. I love that thought. The final element we'll consider in our study today is the goal of God. Did you notice that all of this was prefaced upon the words of Jesus Christ when he said, come ye after me? I looked that expression up. Here's how a Bible dictionary defined that expression, come ye after me. It said, come here, exclamation point. They say the Greek language is beautiful and that it's kind of color well. Other languages are black and white. You can actually shout and print. And if I get the sense of this word right, it was Jesus saying, come here. Emphasis, a desire, wanting them to be with him. Now listen, God is not hard up for help, and God can do anything He wants without our help. He just happens to love people. He created us for fellowship. He wants us to be with Him. He calls us to Himself. He enjoys working with His children. I love that about God. I remember the first time I took Jessica to school. I didn't know that I'd feel anything, but it about tore my heart right out my chest, you know. And uh, I suppose if she never grew, that would have been a concern. But I just didn't like the fact that she was less little than I had remembered her once being, you know. And so I dropped her off at school. And man, I was feeling bad. And these days, Wednesdays, the one day a week we shut the office down. And back then it was Monday. And I remember dropping her off at school and just feeling so badly about it, you know. And she's continued growing since that time, by the way. But dropped her off and came home and, and uh, decided to wash the car. And so I'm out there just feeling so bad. I'm sure everyone can relate to that just punch to the gut feeling, you know. You're just, you're just feeling bad. And I was feeling bad. I'm out there washing the car. And, and Julie came out. And I, you know, she was just a little tiny guy at that time, just getting around. And I'm washing the car. And I look down. And as I recollect, she took the towel I brought out to dry the car and put it in the water bucket. And started rubbing it on the car. And worse than that, she dropped it. So now it's picked up, you know, every little dirt and pebble and, and rubbing it on the car. And, and so I looked at her and I said, get out of here. No, I didn't say that, right? You wouldn't say that to a little tiny guy. I said, come here, let me help you. I tried to explain to her, you know, if you drop that and it picks up rocks and you rub it on the car, you'll scratch the paint. And, you know, try to help her. And she wasn't real helpful to begin with, I'll be honest with you. In time, she became a good car washing buddy. But at the time, 
Not so much. But every Monday for a long time, uh, I'd take Jessica to school. I'd come home, and Julie would help me wash the car. And, and we'd enjoy that time together. Not, not because she was a good car washer, but because as a dad, I just loved the thought that this little tiny munchkin wanted to spend time with me and wanted to be a part of the work that I was doing. And, and I loved it. And those are our cherished memories. And, and analogies all fall short, but you know, I don't think that's very far from how it is with our Heavenly Father. He just loves his kids. He loves it when we hear his call to come after him and, and we enthusiastically respond. He, he loves it when we come. Listen, we don't have to perfectly know how to wash God's car, so to speak. He just loves it when we're there and we're, we're serving with him. These four disciples, they enthusiastically responded. They left their nets. They left their family. They left the employees that they no doubt appreciated. They left their business to follow Jesus because they esteemed him worth it all worth it all and jesus was pleased god the father was pleased i shared this verse a moment ago but i want us to think on it again philippians 2 13 says for it's god which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure the bible says that god works on his own so that we will will talking about our desire Maybe you've had a time in your life where you've said, you know, I've never really had a desire to go to church before, but I'm kind of looking forward to it this week. What's going on with me? You know, I've never had a desire before to give an offering to help a missionary or to uh, serve maybe children in the church setting, whatever it might be. But we find that our will begins to change. Wow, I've never really wanted to do this before. Many times as we're growing in the Lord, he's changing our, our will, our desires. He, he's working in us both to will and to do. The Bible says then he helps us to do that which he's impressed upon us. And the Bible says that that is done for his good Pleasure. I just love the thought of pleasing God. Pleasing God. God puts the desire within us. He brings the opportunity that is a right fit for us across our paths. And as we follow him, it's, it's his good pleasure. And so God called. It was a gracious call. They didn't deserve it. But God called and it was a call that included the gifts necessary to do his will. They weren't guaranteed to grow as they followed it. It served a purpose, we know. It accomplished God's goal in them. God is a God that loves fellowship with his children. And I think today, if we were to call Peter and Andrew and James and John, and, and I were to interview them and say, guys, tell me about that time when Jesus called you. Was that a good move to just leave your stuff like that? I think they'd say it was a great move. It was a great move. Now, Again, the Lord's not calling us to, to leave our fishing business and be apostles. That was, that was a unique moment. But God's definitely got something for all of us to do within his great work today. He's got a way for all of us to be an encouragement to those around us and to share the good news of Jesus Christ and to be a blessing. And, and there's something for all of us to do today. Now think with me. I told you about a year it elapsed. Apparently there'd been a call to Jesus Christ. John the Baptist said, let me tell you, this is the Lamb of God. Being Jews, that expression lamb would have been very important to them. They would have understood, oh, this is the Messiah. We've got to trust in him. And somewhere along the way, they accepted the call to faith. But it was 
period of time before they responded to the call to serve. You know, my thought was this. What a shame it would be to, to say yes to Jesus over there and, and then live a life that kind of misses the fulfillment and the purpose of it all in terms of serving him. Now, maybe you're here today, and if someone were to ask you, do you know for sure if you were to die today, you'd go to heaven? You'd say, no. Well, listen, it's not the will of God that any should perish. The Bible tells us that. He, he came so that everybody can know what it is to have a relationship with him. And that call, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, listen, that call is coming out loud and clear today. He wants you to know. And you can say yes to that. Maybe you've said yes to this. And, and the Lord is, is, is extending that call to serve him with your life, to live for him. Have you said yes to that? Oh, listen, let's make sure that as the Lord is prompting, we're responding and we'll see that it's always of his grace. He gives us the gifts needed along the way. He, he gives us a guarantee that he'll be working in us and on us and through us. And the goal of it all is God just loves you and he wants to have a relationship with you. Have you answered his calls? Our Father, thank you for this study today, for the opportunity once again to open your word. And uh, I pray that you'd help us to grow, Lord. I thank you for the kind of God that you are. You, you don't see us with all our hang-ups. You do accept us as we are, but you're just too kind to leave us that way. And you're working on us all the time. Use the final moments of this service today for your glory. And we pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Heads are back.